Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Well, hi again, everyone. I'm 1010 Wins Sports Director Mark Renee. This is another podcast edition of On the Mark, and we are in the book nook with Patricia Trainer. She is the senior writer for GiantsCountry.com and SI.com Sports Channel. She's also the host of the Locked on Giants podcast and has covered Big Blue for over 20 years. Patricia is the author of The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the New York Giants. It's available from Triumph Books, wherever you get your books. And first of all, let me say thank you, Patricia, for joining me. Happy holidays, and how are you? Happy holidays to you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing well, and I hope you are as well. Indeed, I am. And of course, it helps that the Giants are in first place. And before we get into the book, those five words I don't think we ever expected we would hear with a 4-7 and seven team. First place, New York Giants. Your thoughts, please? Yeah, I mean, three cheers for the NFC least. The Eagles, the Cowboys, Washington football, all struggling this year. You know, at least the Cowboys and Washington football team, you can say that they have new coaching staffs, you know, despite the fact that they're they're uh, experienced head coaches. But the Eagles, I, I don't know what happened with them. I think injuries and, and I don't know what's going on there. It's funny, last night I was watching that game against the Seattle Seahawks, and I kept saying, my goodness, is Doug Peterson trying to get himself fired with some of the decisions he was making? But, hey, look, the Giants are a team on the rise. And I actually compared them to um, one of my favorite shows right now, uh, The Crown on Netflix. <laughs> and the comparison I made is that the first season I got absolutely hooked. It, it wasn't fully developed, but you were hooked just enough to come back for seasons two, three, and four. And then with Giants football, it's kind of the same. It's like... Uh, Joe Judge has got you hooked with the style of product he has out there on the field to where even if they don't go into the playoffs this year or, or they get in and they don't go far, you're hooked to where you're going to come back next year. Yeah, indeed. Uh, speaking of comebacks, uh, Daniel Jones leaving the Bengals game with that hamstring. Uh, it sounded like the MRI came back not as bad as they were expecting, uh, but do you think we'll get a comeback from him on Sunday against the Seahawks? I would be very, very surprised if he plays on Sunday. There's just so many things and so many reasons not to push him out there too quickly. Number one, you're going to want him for down the stretch. And I think if you put him out there, you run the risk of that hamstring, which, by the way, we know hamstring injuries are very, very tricky to, to predict. So you run the risk of him potentially making it worse. And here's the other thing that I think has to factor in. You've got a six-hour plane ride to and from Seattle 
And I don't know about you. I know when I take a plane ride and I'm on a plane for as much as an hour, my legs start to cramp up and I they, knock on wood, didn't don't have any hamstring issues. So even though, you know, you could say, well, Daniel will get up and walk around. There's only so much walking around you can do to really stretch that out. And I just don't think it makes sense to, to, to risk them, to be honest with you. Yeah, it really is remarkable. You know, you think about Eli's streak of, what was it, 210 consecutive starts, which is, you know, not even close to Brett Favre's record, but still it's it's impressive. And, and the fact that he was able to be so durable, uh, never had a hamstring issue that we know of. Uh, in fact, to my memory, there was uh, one issue, I think it was with a shoulder, right, several years ago. Uh, and he was expected, I remember there was a, a report from ESPN uh, that he was going to miss about three or four weeks and didn't miss any time at all. Um, but it really does give you a, a, even more appreciation for what Eli was able to do all those years, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, he had that, the shoulder injury. That I remember that well. That happened against Dallas. And then there was also uh, the last regular season game of, I think it was Tom Coughlin's last year, I want to say. No, I'm sorry. It was the last year of Kevin Gilbride, and he suffered a high ankle sprain. Now, right. the Giants weren't going to the playoffs anyway, but the following spring, and I remember this because I remember him saying that, you know, between the ankle surgery that he had to have in the offseason and learning a new offensive system, which was totally different, I think he got off to a slow start. So I just remember him talking about that. But yes, he's been very, very lucky in his career. And, you know, look, that you're not going to find that every on every team every year. So this is not, you know, a surprise per se. But um, it, Daniel Jones taking off and being a runner is, is kind of part of what makes him, you know, such, such a valued contributor on that offense. Yeah. All right. Now, given where they are, four and seven tied with Washington, for first place and owning the tiebreak by virtue of their season sweep of the football team. Uh, Patricia Train, I'm putting you on the spot. What chances do you give the Giants of actually winning the NFC least? Oh, wow. Um, I'm not as confident right now about them winning against Seattle, but I do think they can take Arizona. I think that's, that's a winnable game. I think, uh, Baltimore has become a winnable game, and I think Dallas has become a winnable game. So if they can go three and one um, over the the uh, I, and I left out Cleveland. I'm sorry, Cleveland is a winnable game too. If they can go four and one, um, which is a, which is a, a big if, I, and I understand that. I, I I think even three and two in those last five, um, I'd say their chances are pretty good. I mean, they're they're playing much better football. The one thing that, that John Mara wanted to see, I know the one thing I wanted to see was weekly improvement. And we didn't see it initially, even though Joe Judge said that it was there, but now we are seeing it. It's showing up on the scoreboard and on the stat sheet. So I would say, you know, I, I feel pretty good about their chances. I don't think if they get in, they'll go far but I feel pretty good about, you know, what they have done so far. Well, that was going to be my next question. Does whatever team wins this division have even a snowball's chance of getting to the Super Bowl? Well, you never say never. That's why you line up and you play the, the game every, you know, every week. But with that said, we're going to find out for sure, especially with the Giants, because look, their wins so far this year have come against teams that are, you know, not very good. So they're going to have a good test against Seattle. Now, even though I, I don't feel good about them winning it, 
if they can remain competitive to where, you know, they're worthy of standing on the same field as, as, a, as the Seahawks who have a winning record, then that's going to tell us a lot about how far they might go if they do get into the playoffs. Reminds me just a little tiny bit of the regular season finale in 2012 against the, uh, I'm sorry, in 2007 against the Patriots, the undefeated mm-hmm. Patriots, and nobody was expecting much of anything. The Giants were locked into their spot, and the Patriots obviously were going for 16-0. and um, But the Giants, you know, went toe-to-toe with them pretty much that entire day, and I think that was what uh, helped propel them uh, to that run with the three road wins and uh, the eventual Super Bowl upset. Yeah, no question. I remember that game really well. I remember when head coach Tom Coughlin talked about, I'm going to play my starters. And we were all that week, everybody was like, what is he doing? You know, what happens if somebody gets hurt? And Coughlin just turned out to be right. He, you know, it, it was a good um, trial run. It was an opportunity to see what they might face if they made it to the Super Bowl. And and I think that game was, was very pivotal in, in their championship that year. It's funny. I said to anybody who would listen going into the Tampa Bay game, the, the wild card round, I said, all Eli has to do is throw to the correct color jersey and the Giants (laughs) will win. And they did. And then we went to Dallas the week after and they won again. And again, no turnovers from Eli and the same thing in the championship game at uh, Lambeau. And I don't know about you, but my face, every time I mention that game, the NFC championship against the Packers, my face gets about 30 degrees colder than it is right this second. Well, I was there for that game, and yeah, I, can I was t- too. Uh, and I'll and I'll tell you a funny story. Um, we were the the media hotel was about I want to say a block and a half, maybe two blocks away from Lambeau Field. So you know, under normal circumstances, it's walkable. You know, you don't have to hop on a bus or take a cab. It was so cold that day. I, I actually that was a night game. It was just so cold that just to go from the door of the the hotel lobby onto the bus, the media bus. It was it was just like, oh, my gosh. And, and, you know, they had hot chocolate and everything for the short ride. And we got there and they dropped us off, thank goodness, right by the door because we had gone through the security check before we got on the bus. But, you know, normally you figure, okay, it's only two blocks away. You walk it. And I would have walked it, you know, because I whenever I can, I'd like to, you know, I like to do the walking. But it was just so cold. And then I remember the way Green Bay's uh, Lambeau Field was set up at the time. You had to go outside to get down to the locker room, which meant you had to put your coat and your scarf and your hat on. And you went down to the locker room and the locker room, you know, it, it was just so warm. So you went from one extreme to the next. And it, and I remember almost passing out from going from one extreme to the next. Plus I was just so flustered having, you know, realized that, Hey, the giants won, they're going to the super bowl. And it was just, it, it, Oh my gosh. It's funny. I was talking about this whole thing with a, with a colleague of mine last night. And I, I said, my goodness, I remember, you know, not going to bed that night because I had a three o'clock, I had to get up at three o'clock for my flight home. And I remember having to write and it, it was just a, a phenomenal experience. I had actually worked that Sunday morning in Milwaukee at one of our sister stations. And I drove to Lambeau and I made the rookie mistake after the game because it was sort of toasty up in the press box, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I made the rookie mistake. I didn't know that we had to walk outside to get to the locker room, so I left my coat upstairs. 
Oh, never been colder in my entire life. So that's that's one of my lasting memories. And the other, of course, is what I'm convinced is the permanent damage that was done to Coughlin's cheeks that day because he never looked the same after. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, cold weather can can beat your skin up. That's for sure. That's why, you know, apparently we joked about this with with Coughlin in the later years. We joked about, hey, where was your face cream? Because if you put a good face cream on, you're not going to have that 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 uh, that, you know, effect on your cheeks. But, you know, Coughlin was he just kind of laughed about it and just said, oh, you know, my wife forgot to pack it for me. So it was it was kind of funny. Yeah, It was so nice after the the win against the Patriots. Uh in Arizona that he actually smiled. It, it was the first time. And I joked with him afterwards. Like, I think this is the first time I've ever seen you laugh in public and, <laughs> because he was, he was on such a high and, and who could blame him because they had just beaten the, the undefeated Patriots. Um, uh, bef- last thing before we get into the book, um, first of all, what are your, what are your lasting memories of those two Super Bowl runs? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I remember the 2007 one a little bit better than 2011. And the reason for that is 2011, I fought cancer. And so that year was kind of a blur. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, people are going to probably get mad at me for saying this, but I was hoping the lockout would last the entire year because I was undergoing cancer treatments. And my treatments ended in October. And it took me several months before I started to to feel like myself again. I mean, out in Indianapolis, I remember getting very sick. I, I came down with a, a bad cold, which, you know, my doctor had warned me about, but of course I didn't listen. Cause I was like, well, I got to go cover this game. I, you know, and, and we had this whole battle Royale, but anyway, the 2007 season for me was just one of my, it, it remains my favorite. It was just magic. You know, everything fell into place. We had so much fun. You know, you, you, you think of, okay, you know, your job, you'd like it to be fun, but it's not always fun. Every moment of that season, covering that season was a ton of fun for me. And that playoff run, I remember we were on the road every weekend. And I was trying to, you know, when it looked like the Giants were going to make the Super Bowl, here I am, I remember trying to make my airline reservations. I I remember trying to get a ticket because my husband had wanted to go. And I was coming up, you know, blank on both. And I said, oh, my goodness, the Giants are going to go to the Super Bowl and I'm not going to be able to go because I can't get him a ticket and I can't find a plane reservation. Well, I found a plane reservation that didn't, you know, cost me an arm and a leg, which, you know, tends to happen with Super Bowl. And then just as I'm getting ready to go on the plane, I get a phone call from the Giants you know, because they they were handling ticket requests for the media. And they said, Oh, we have an extra ticket. Do you still want one for your husband? I'm like, Yes, yes. So I remember calling my husband and saying, you know, if the plane goes down today, I'm happy because I got you a ticket to the Super Bowl. And he's like, wait a minute, if it goes down, then I'm not going to get my ticket. So, (laughs) so it was just, it was just, you know, a lot of fun, a lot of, you know, behind the scenes stuff that just, I think about now as I talk about it, and I've got a grin on my face from ear to ear because it was just so magical and just productive. It was one of my best seasons ever on the beat. It was a a magic carpet ride that I think uh, we will all remember fondly uh, until the end of time. Uh, I, I have to ask, I was going to ask anyway how COVID has changed the way that you're covering the team. But uh, given that you're a cancer survivor, that puts an extra sort of spin to it, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I have to be careful, obviously. So, you know, I don't really get out of my house too much. Um, you know, I, once in a while, if the weather's nice, I'll go out and I'll take a walk around the block um, or I'll take my dog for a walk or, um, you know, sometimes I'll get in the car and I'll just take a drive around town. But for the most part, my husband's the one who's running the errands. You know, we order our groceries in, we order everything in. It just seems like, and I miss the grocery shopping, to be honest with you. Um, but we set up offices for ourselves. He's, he works upstairs. I work downstairs and, you know, we, we reconvene on breaks and, and uh, we see each other for lunch, obviously for dinner. Um, but everything, as far as my football coverage is, you know, everything's done remotely. So we're doing zoom calls and, and video conferences and telephone calls and all that stuff. And, it's not the same, obviously, because, you know, you want the face-to-face -face interaction and to build up rapport and, you know, you just can't get that right now. And, and it's unfortunate because that's how I basically, um, you know, thrive, if you will, in the business. And, but, you know, you've got to roll with the times and, and that's what I've been trying to do. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the book. It's the big 50, the men and moments that made the New York Giants. The forward was written by former GM Ernie Accorsi. And I have to ask, first question I thought of, of, of all the people that you have come across in your 20 years plus covering this team, how did Ernie get the honor of writing the forward? Well, you know, it was interesting. I considered Ernie and I considered John Mara, but, you know, Ernie always was good to me. Before he retired, every February around President's Day, I would go into his office when they were, especially when they were in the old giant stadium, I'd go into his office and we would sit down and for a good hour, hour and a half, he would give me an interview. But a lot of times the interview would, would, would turn to, you know, just talking about football memories. And I learned so much from Ernie. He's really a wonderful storyteller. He's like a walking encyclopedia, not just a football, but a baseball too, which is another passion of his. Mm. So I thought to myself, who better, you know, to write the forward, you know, no disrespect to John Mara, who obviously has been with the team for, for a number of years um, by virtue of his father and his family. But Ernie just, you know, had so many wonderful stories. And because he was always so good to me, I mean, John Mara has been good to me, too. But Ernie especially was good to me in taking an hour and a half out of his time and at a time when they were getting ready for the combine and free agency and all that other good stuff. And, you know, so I, I just said, you know, Hey, listen, you know, would you be willing to do this? And he said, sure, be happy to. And not only did he write the forward, but for the chapter that I did on him, he gave me almost two hours of his time and it was nothing but stories, you know, great stories. And I, and I hated to leave a lot of them out because in the interest of, uh, you know, keeping the chapters relatively even, I had to cut some stuff out, but my gosh, I still have all that stuff. And who knows, maybe I'll write about it someday on, on Giants Country. That's a great idea. And you could probably get an entire month's uh, supply out of that. Um, before I ask what got left on the cutting room floor, so to speak, um, please tell me who or what actually determined the order that you put on the 50 men and their moments. Well, you know what? That was very difficult. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, how do you order 50 moments? First of all, how do you narrow down out of 96 or so years of, of this franchise, 50 great moments and 50 great men? I've always been of the opinion that every moment, every man has some kind of impact on the direction the franchise has taken to get it to where it is today. So it's really difficult. 
So when I put together the list initially, and they told me, oh, you have to order it in order of, you know, the, the top moment to the, le- the least moment, I said, oh, my goodness, you know, believe it or not, that took me longer to do than writing some of the chapters or writing most of the books. So I, I reached out to Vinny Detrani. I think he, he's uh, he's retired. He used to be a beat writer for the, I think it's the Bergen Record. He yep. used to be a beat writer mm-hmm. too. Yep. And he's widely regarded at, we call him the sage because he's just, he's old school and he's been covering that team forever. And I reached out to him and I, I said to him, Vinny, this is what I'm doing. And, and just a, a prelude, Paul Dettino, who's who's a good friend of mine, helped me set this up. Um, Vinny, I mean, I knew Vinny, obviously, but Paul Dettino is also a, um, a giant historian. So I said, look, this is what I'm, I'm trying to do. What do you guys recommend? So they, they gave me their input because they have been covering the team a heck of a lot longer than I have, believe it or not. And then from there, I just, I just, you know, came up with the order. I mean, the list itself wasn't difficult because, you know, I've been, I grew up in a giant household. My father was, was a giant fan for years. So I knew about, you know, Lawrence Taylor. I knew about the Crunch Bunch. I knew about YA Tittle, all the greats of yesteryear, even though I might not have seen them because I wasn't alive, I knew about them. But just putting it in some kind of order, really, you know, Vinny and Paul were very helpful in, in making suggestions. And then from there, I was able to say, okay, you know, do I put this chapter ahead of that chapter and just come up with the final list? Craig Morton and Larry Zonka did not make the list. Are they, are they part <laughs> of the cutting room floor? Um, actually, I, I thought I mentioned him in one of the chapters. I, 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 I might've mentioned him. See, that's the problem with, with this book. This book is you're limited to 50 men and moments, but you have to find ways, I think, to mention other guys. Like for example, I wanted a chapter on Dick Lynch, but it didn't make the actual chapter, but I found a way to get, you know, enough in about Dick. Um, into the book by putting it, you know, doing it, devoting a chapter to the ring of honor and, and, you know, the hall of famers. So I had to get a little creative with that, but um, you know, and if I left anybody out, believe me, I apologize. It wasn't done intentionally, but this was so difficult. You could basically write an encyclopedia on this franchise. Yeah, it's true. I, you know, I was going to mention Pauly dot, uh, the longtime beat reporter for our sister station, WFAN, in addition to everything else he does um, with the Bergen Record and the Giants website. And he's everywhere. He's to me, he's Mr. Giant, even more than Mel Hine. Uh, <laughs> have you ever met anyone in all your years more dedicated to the gig than Mr. Dettino? Oh my gosh, he is one of a kind. I will say that he's a good egg, though. He's he really oh, he's is the a best. good egg. He's the and, best. And you know, I have to. I'll tell you um, a, a funny story. When I first came on the beat, um, I came in under the banner of Inside Football. Inside Football, which still exists, by the way, today, and to which I still contribute, was devoted strictly to Giants coverage. But we did X's and O's. We didn't really do you know the daily story stuff that you might see in the papers or online so the editor of inside football was a man by the name of howard livingston rest his soul and he just 
and he took a you know a, a liking to me and and he, and he gave me an opportunity to kind of learn the craft and and uh, write for him because he was very demanding and as dr livingston got older um he, he said okay you know i'm not going to be there to, to to help you and bring you along and he said to me but he says i'm going to tell you a couple people that i want you to you know connect with because they will help you they'll they'll show you how to do things the right way and some of those people unfortunately are no longer on the beat they they've either passed away or they've retired or whatnot but one of the people that is still on the beat is Polly dots and i told Polly dots that story and he you know he he was all like i guess flustered about it but um no really a good guy i know he gets a lot of flack and whatnot from from fans but um, he does know his stuff and, and I'm amazed at, at how much he knows. It's just, it, it never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. And the fact that he goes through the game tape as uh, I'm trying to think of the word here. Uh, what, what's a good word? You're a writer. Like you a tell coach. me what, what's he, he a good word. He doesn't like a coach. He's very, you know, focused, very intensive, uh, thorough. I mean, he, he, he approaches it like a coach does. Yeah, it's it's I've never seen anything like it. And he's been like this. I've known him for 30 years. He's been like this for probably even longer than that. But certainly for the entire time I've known him, he has been this rabid, uh, this rabidly dedicated uh, to his craft. And it really yeah. is for him. It yeah. Really and, and that's, you know, that's a, a takeaway that I, as a young developing writer, you know, that I took. It's like, OK, if you want to do the job and set yourself apart and, and just have people read you, you have to put the time in. You can't just sit there and knock out a, knock out a story and then post it. You, you have to put the research in. And that's something Dr. Livingston also taught me. He said, look, you know, when, the, when, the, when he was alive, you know, at the time the internet was just starting to really catch on. And he used to say to me, you better research and make sure you have at least two or three different references you were checking for every article, whether it be your own recording, you know, from, from an interview or whether you have an, a media guide, whatever you use, you should have at least two to three different references. And, and that's what I do to this day. I mean, every article I write just about, it's not just me just sitting down at the keyboard and knocking something out. I'm looking stuff up on, on at least, you know, two or three different websites, sometimes even more because, you know, look, this is a very competitive market. I, I get that, you know, there's a ton of giants material out there on the web. I want people to come and read me and know that what they're reading is researched. It's, it's not slanted towards any one position and it's accurate. And you're not just throwing stuff up against the wall yeah. to see what sticks. Yeah, ethics goes a long way, doesn't it? It, it really does. And, and you know, I, I get this question all the time from, from readers and listeners. And I tell them, look, I'm not concerned. I don't read and I don't judge what other people are doing. I'm concerned about how can I get better with what I'm doing? Because, you know, even though I've been doing this a long time, I still have room to grow. I still learn new things. You know, whether it be by accident or, you know, maybe I read a book and I pick up a different style or a different way to do stuff. So I'm I remain very dedicated to my craft. And, you know, I tell my my interns when they, they work with me at, at SI, I say, look, for the first 10 years of my career, I never got paid. I went 10 years writing and I never got a dime. 
And then suddenly one day somebody thought I was good enough to where they said, okay, we'll, we'll throw you a couple bucks. That somebody was Dr. Livingston. From there, I started to get other paying gigs. And now today, it's like, you know, everything I do, I get some kind of monetary compensation. I put in the time and, and you know, my attitude is like, okay, I have to earn that. And I'm going to earn that because if I don't, then, and if I get lazy, then I might as well switch to a different profession. Well, it helps that you're doing something that you love and you're following a sport that you have been a fan of since childhood. I think that helps, um, you know, if you have to get paid very little or not at all, that, that certainly does help, right? They always say, if you do something you love, it's not really work, but we, we know better because, uh, we put in the effort to make it look as easy as we do. Yeah, indeed. All right. Before we wrap up and I do appreciate your time today, I have to ask, um, and I ask this of people who've been covering teams for however long they're on the beat. But uh, over your 20-plus years with the Giants, who's been your favorite guy to cover? Oh, gosh, so many. I don't think I have a, one specific favorite. Um... All right, let me ask this way then. Who's the easiest to get what you need, quote-wise, that one's tough too because <laughs> you know I, I'm I'm I'll be honest with you I'm the type of person, you know once we break the ice and we establish a a, a conversation and a rapport, it it becomes you know everything kind of falls into place. But I think what's important is you know I treat all these interviews as opportunities. You know I I don't just stick a microphone in somebody's face. I'm like, you know, I'll go up to somebody that I've never met before and say, hi, you know, I'm Patty. And I always laugh when they say, hi, I'm Saquon or hi, I'm, I'm Logan or whatever. And I'm like, I know, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I know who you are, duh, you know, but I never say that. And we just, you know, it's like anything else, you know, you have to, I was very shy growing up and, and just, you know, I had to force myself out of my, my shell. And I found that once I started doing that, and once I started realizing that, you know, oh, my gosh, let's take the, the, the stars out of my eyes and realize that, hey, Saquon Barkley puts his pants on just like my husband does. Or, you know, uh, Logan Ryan, you know, he likes, you know, animals like I do. Um, it, it becomes a little easier when you realize that they're human, just like you are. And now, you know, it becomes easier to make conversation and then parlay that into um, football conversation. Yeah, it's funny. I'm thinking back to last year when Saquon got hurt, and I think it was Eli Penny who had a big game, first one filling in. It was either Eli or Gallman. Gallman. Um, and I remember in the locker room after the game, after the scrum had broken up, I walked over and I said hi, and I introduced myself, and I, you know, stick the microphone in his face with the 1010 wins flag on it, of course. And he was so excited. He's like, oh, wow, 1010 wins, because, you know, we, we have a reputation. And, uh, you know, I'm just a guy who represents, you know, this this monolithic brand. But uh, it was really funny that, you know, the excitement that he got, you could see the look in his eye that, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't that he made it so much, but it was, you know, that people were actually taking an interest in him and, and, and wanting to have a conversation about not just the great game he had had, but, uh, you know, but uh, the other things that were going on in his life, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had that too with players where I'd go up to them and I'd, I'd start a conversation. And it's funny, you know, they remember that, you know, one of my my 
I call him a sweetheart because he is a sweetheart. Dave Tolleson is, is, is just a, the sweetest guy, one of the sweetest guys I've ever met. And whenever I reach out to him and I say, hey, Dave, you know, I'm, I'm working on something. Would you have a few minutes to help me? He goes, I will always have time to help you. And I, and I, I you know, I was talking to him one time and I, I, I'm always appreciative. I said, oh, thank you so much. He says, listen, you were one of the few people who bothered to come to get to know me and to talk to me and find out what I was about. And I never forgot that. And, and I tell you, um, one of the most rewarding things, and, and this happened to me at the Super Bowl that was held here in New Jersey, New York, New Jersey, is when a former player remembers you, you know, Sam Garns at the time was a safety with the Giants back in the late, uh, I think it was the late nineties, early uh, 2000s. Right. Mm-hmm. He became a coach, I think with John Fox, I think he was with John Fox, but anyway, um, I ran into him during media day and he recognized me right away. And at first I didn't recognize him. I hate to admit that, but I didn't recognize who he was. And he, so he comes up to me, he gives me this big old bear hug and I'm, I'm like, hey, how you doing? You know, just trying to fake it. And then it finally hit me who it was. <laughs> and I said to him, wow, I can't believe you remember me. He goes, I never forgot you. He said, you you always, you know, were good to me. You, you were always fair to the team and to me. And he says, you were one of the pleasant ones. And he said, I love talking to you. And, you know, just little moments like that really make it, you know, they put, they put a smile on my face because it tells me that I'm doing things the right way because obviously if I wasn't, people would be like, Oh, I don't remember you or oh, get out of my face. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so given that Patricia, how difficult is it to have to deal with everybody on zoom and text messages and FaceTime instead of being actually face to face with them? Well, the zoom calls are, you know, look, I- I'm grateful for them. I don't want to sound ungrateful, but you're in a group. And there's a pecking order, you know, you put your hand up and sometimes the player doesn't have a lot of time, so you don't get called on, but you don't really get to build that rapport and it kind of stinks, but that's what, that's the environment we're in, you know, it's better than nothing, but, um, you know, sometimes you do get a player on the telephone. I've had a couple guys that I've spoken to on the phone for stories that I've done and um, you try to build up that rapport, even though it's not face to face, you know, like, I recently did a story on on Cam Brown from Penn State. He's he's one of the Giants. He's the Giants sixth round pick this year. And I went to Rutgers and back in the day, Rutgers and Penn State, I mean, you you it, it was against the law if you went to Rutgers to to give anything positive about Penn State. I mean, you would have to turn in your 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 diploma or your your degree. And I told him the story and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, I know." So we kind of like connected over that before we did our story. We had a very productive conversation. Um, so sometimes it works. And then sometimes you get guys who are shy and they, they prefer to see what you look like and watch your body language and all that stuff, as opposed to, you know, just hearing your voice. So that's what you miss. And in the zoom calls, like I said, you, you have group interviews. So, you know, you have to compete with other people who have specific stories or, or angles that they want to take. And it's just, it's not the same. Yeah. By the way, perfect segue mentioning Rutgers and Penn State into my final topic with you. Uh, I knew you went to Rutgers, so I had to ask, how happy are you that Chiano is back? Listen, if he turns that program around and makes it a winner, I'll, I'm all for it. And finally, because Penn State comes a-calling this weekend... Um, 
<clears throat> and they're not very good this year, but they finally got a win against Michigan. And Rutgers, as I'm sure you're well aware, snapped a four-game losing streak with their victory at Purdue the other night. Uh, how do you see things going on Saturday? Well, I don't want to have to give my degree back, so I'm <laughs> gonna I'm gonna go with Rutgers. I mean, if I if I say Penn State, did I know somebody will call me and say, "Give us back your degree. You're no longer part of the family." So I got to go with Rutgers. Come on. Do you and Kim Jones have a little bit of a, a running wager? No, oddly enough, we don't really talk college football, but um, look, Kim's a great lady. I, I I highly respect the work she does, and I would hope she feels the same way about me. And, and uh, you know, so, look, I mean, uh, we're, we're past that now. Even though we're we're always going to be part of the Rutgers and, and, and Penn State communities, um, you can't go through life and say, oh, I'm not going to talk to you because you went to Penn State or you went to the, the U or whatever. You know, we, we're adults now. I mean, back back when we were maybe out of college, that might have applied. And, and, and I think, you know, for a while, um, we didn't talk much, actually, when we were younger. But now, every time I see Kim, she couldn't be sweeter. And, you know, she's very – She's always, I, I almost want to say she looks out for me sometimes, which I, I, I think is just really touching. And I try to do the same for her, given – you know, what she went through and, you know, it, it's just, we're all one big happy family, albeit an extended family, I guess. Well, you're a bigger person than I am because uh, at number 13 in your book, you have the fumble, of course, Pizarczyk, Zonka, and uh, a certain former Jets coach who I won't name because I still hold a grudge, even though I loved him as a coach and, and covering the Jets while he was here. But uh, I, I still... Uh, Every time I see him, I tell him I want to yell at him because he he just could have fallen down and, and, and saved us all a lot of aggravation. Yeah, he could have. But you know what? Look at it this way. If that play doesn't happen, then we don't get George Young. We probably don't get Phil Sims. We probably don't get Lawrence Taylor or Carl Banks. I mean, just think of what the direction the franchise would have gone in if that fumble doesn't happen. You know, it's funny. That's his defense. Every time I tell him he ruined my childhood, he says, actually, I made your childhood better because I changed the fortunes of the entire franchise. And see, you're backing him up. Well, it, it, it's true. And, and, and it's a real funny story. You know, when I was a kid growing up, because I was a writer, my dad, who was a giant season ticket holder for the longest time, used to always have me write his letters for him. After that fumble, he came home from, from the Giants game. He was so infuriated. He sat down at his desk and he started writing a letter. And I happened to wander into his, his office and I said, what are you doing, Dad? He goes, I'm writing a letter to Wellington Mara. And I looked at him and I said, well, wait a minute. I, I said, do you want me to write it? No, I'm going to write it. And that was the first and only letter I can remember him ever writing uh, <laughs> in my childhood. There were probably words in it that he didn't want to dictate to his young daughter. <laughs> I have no idea what was in that letter. I hope it wasn't too bad. I mean, I, I can understand it. I mean, um, it, it was a very emotional time for everybody. But, you know, like I said to him years later, I said, look, if that doesn't happen, the Giants probably don't go on to become the powerhouse that they did in the 80s. So if you don't mind me asking, and I apologize for saving this for last, but why wasn't that fumble ranked a little higher? Uh, because I felt there were other things that were, that were higher, obviously. Um, look, I mean, it, it's a negative play, you know, it's kind of like, um, it, it's something giant fans, I think would, would rather not talk about, <laughs> but 
I just felt that the, the, the chapters that ranked higher had more of an impact. And this, this is what I mean. I mean, ideally, if it had been up to me, I would have done this in chronological order because each chapter kind of plays off of the other. And, you know, that wasn't the purpose of the, of the book. It was right. to, to rank them in order. Um, but the fumble, because it was such a, a game changer, it had to be in the top 15. But there was no way I could put it above, you know, the, the team's founding or Wellington Narrow or LT or George Young or the first Super Bowl or the greatest game ever played, just because of the historical value of some of those chapters. So, um, and. You know, for me personally, I wanted the, the the spoilers of perfection up high because that was just, you know, that was just a tremendous um, game. And so the fumble got its it, its due. I mean, probably a little too much respect, but it, it had to be up there. No, I liked it. It was thirteenth because thirteen. You know, for well, that that was, was another an unlucky thing. number. Yeah, that that was another thing. You know, it's interesting you point that out. That was that was actually, you know, when I was I was actually debating whether to put that lower, and my husband said. Oh, wasn't that an unlucky play? And I said, yeah. He says, well, why don't you put it at number 13? I said, bingo. Because, I mean, I was going to have – I had the Eli Manning trade higher. I actually had him, I think, at, at 13. And he goes, why would you put Eli Manning at 13? Why don't you put the fumble there? I said, oh, good point. Mm. There we go. Well, I love the book. And uh, I think whoever else uh, has a chance to read it will enjoy it too. And not even necessarily Giants fans, but certainly uh, Giants fans for uh, – for holiday gifts, uh, they make, uh, I think, a terrific idea. It's called The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the New York Giants. It is available from Triumph Books, certainly wherever you get your books. The author is Patricia Trena. And, uh, Patricia, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, and have a happy holiday. You too. I'm Mark Ernay. She's Patricia Trena, and you're on the mark. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.